getting good originally was weird. Like, obviously, Lance is a very polarizing weapon at low elos because mm -hmm. people find a lot of success, including myself. That's why I played it in the first place. I hit Diamond pretty easily. Mm -hmm. now, I wouldn't say easily, but I was like a Lucian player who switched to Lance. Diamond, easy. But um, uh, getting to that next step, I, I abused the signature to get to like top 25 mm -hmm. North America. Um, and people would call me a one trick and a gimmick. And then they nerfed that signature. And then I was like 22, 2300, kind of there. And then I was really stubborn and just kept going at it, kept going at it. And when you put your heart and soul into something, it usually works out. Welcome to episode 3 of Brahalla Origins. On this show, I interview notable members of the Brahalla community to talk to them about how they found Brahalla and progressed to how involved they are with the community today. On today's episode, I interviewed Kosalix. He's a professional player and a content creator most known for previously being the best Lance player in the world. Brahalla Origins is presented by Brawl Academy. Brawl Academy will provide the most advanced and detailed Brahalla courses and coaching, specifically meant for helping beginner level players get to Diamond. A small group will be allowed early access to Brawl Academy in late October, but if you want help quickly, replay reviews and coaching are now available. Sign up over at brawlacademy.com for more info. And with that, on with the show. Koslix, welcome to Brawlhalla Origins. Appreciate you coming on the show. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing absolutely phenomenally. So just for everyone's reference, we're recording this on the same day that Loki came out. So I want to real quick, since we have this opportunity to get your like initial impressions, like first thoughts, you've played the mm -hmm. legend. I saw that you, uh, Put up a, a video on Loki combos on the Neutral X channel. What what do you think about the legend? I think he's cool. I think eight dexterity is awful, but the legend or the signatures are like absolutely ridiculous. So I think the character's broken, but it's hard to tell to be honest. I have uh, I have some opinions on the signatures that I think are a little bit divergent from what I'm seeing uh, in the rest of the community. I'm making a video about it. I'm hoping it'll be up later today or tomorrow. Um, but yeah, that's the the character looks very cool. The sig kit is very interesting. So, but I don't want to spend too much time on Loki. Loki, that's not the point of the show. Um, the point of the show is to talk to you about your background in Brawlhalla and where you came from, where you got to, how you got there, all that kind of stuff. So, let's start with the beginning. How did you find Brawlhalla? How did you get into the game? So I didn't find it in a way. I had a Minecraft friend who's like, hey, try this game. It's Smash Bros for free. And this was about January 2016 uh, or December 2015. So this is when the open beta, about a month or two in on Steam, they first made the game live, played it. And I didn't know what the signature was. So I thought the game was awful. <laughs> um, there was no tutorial back then or anything. So it was pretty bad. And then I just had a buddy who got like really invested, followed the pro scene. He would like, this is in 2016. So he would like go home at lunch, watch these scuffed dev streams uh, to get a community color. <laughs> and then uh, that kind of got me in invested because I really wanted to beat him. And then he went to the first world championship and I was like, oh my God, he's insane. Um, then he slowly quit the game. And then I started playing Lance and got really good. And the rest is history. Yeah, you got to be very well known for your Lance gameplay. Uh, at one point, I believe you were considered to be the best Lance in the game at some point, right? Yeah. What was it like 
learning that weapon, getting good at it, and having that be kind of sort of like the basis of what everybody knew you for? Um, getting good originally was weird. Like, obviously, Lance is a very polarizing weapon at low elos because mm -hmm. people find a lot of success, including myself. That's why I played it in the first place. I hit diamond pretty easily. Mm -hmm. now, I wouldn't say easily, but I was like a Lucian player who switched to Lance. Diamond, easy. But um, uh, getting to that next step, I, I abused the signature to get to like top 25 mm -hmm. North America. Um, and people would call me a one trick and a gimmick, and then they nerfed that signature. And then I was like, 22 2300 kind of there and then i was really stubborn and just kept going at it kept going at it and when you put your heart and soul into something it usually works out and yeah getting good like lance is a hard weapon at really top level gameplay because mm -hmm. of its dead zones like any other weapon it's always going to be hard no matter what you play um uh but getting to the best like there's going to be some sets that are easy, some sets that are hard. I think it's pretty similar to any other weapon. But once you hit Diamond, everything before Diamond's easier. <laughs> yeah, right. So you've had some pretty decent success as a pro player in Brawlhalla. Your highest achievement it was winning DreamHack Austin. Mm -hmm. What was kind of the the lead up to DreamHack Austin? How were you kind of feeling about that back then? And like, did, did you feel like you were going to win? Like, were you very confident in that sort of like era? I didn't think I was going to win until I started sparring everyone there and I wasn't losing. Mm. Um, going into that tournament, I was like PR, seed, something like 20 to 30. I was projected to lose the rank one in pools before mm -hmm. top 32. So that I maybe I was seed 33rd. And so I didn't have a ton of confidence, but, you know, when you're playing the game so consistently, back then was 60 hertz as well. So... 60 hertz i'm not saying it's the balance but also like i had a game plan that was very strong for the conditions back then mm -hmm. and people did not know how to deal with it um there were some tournaments leading up to it but online is very mickey um sometimes you get good connection and with roger's internet in toronto you know it's never going to be stable <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah I, I said this the other day on twitter um one of my friends was like he, he was a bit mad at himself for not placing well. The tournament after Austin, I placed 33rd in an online tournament. Oh, wow. So I went from the best in the world, because that was an international tournament, like the best EU players mm -hmm. were at Austin, into not placing top 32 in North America without a balanced patch. This is the same patch. Oh, um, yeah, so like back then, I wouldn't call it luck. Like I had a good solid game plan, but the, the conditions were way different than they are today. Yeah. Um, I would say in general, I'm a bit more proud of like 2020's performance because it's my okay. most consistent. But Austin, like, is definitely my highest achievement. Gotcha. Okay. What um, what what do you think really made 2020 different as far as like your consistency goes? Like, was it something about the weapon itself, or like the way that the meta kind of came together, or what do you what do you think as far as that goes? Watching and being around Sandstorm in 2019, one of his biggest like tools on or puzzle pieces on you can call from Blue Lock is he used tempo unlike any other player. And back then mm. I kind of realized that like yes, I was playing the game very consistently and I really wanted to win again or do really well and make a mark, but I was kind of recognizing how essential tempo is to the meta, and mm. that kind of took me to that next level. And so you saw a lot of nair spam back then. Um, recoveries, exhaust recovery, sairs, like I was just throwing attacks out strategically, not spamming, but there's a balance between the two. And that's kind of 
Like I learned that from Sandstorm and then with the pandemic as well. Mm -hmm. I, I know the pandemic was rough on a lot of people, but that was like a golden opportunity for me because I was in high school and you're telling me I don't need to do schoolwork. All I get to do is play <laughs> Brahala all day. I get to make videos and Brahala is as popular as it's ever been. That's still the highest search demand of any year on YouTube for Brahala right. in history. And I was like top eight PR after the first couple tournaments. And I'm like, okay, now's my, now's my chance. And I just gave it my all. Nice. Okay. That's really cool. You mentioned YouTube. Let's, uh, let's transition over to content creation for a bit because you're pretty prolific as a, a, a pretty well-known content creator in the Brawlhalla community. Um, what made you decide to start making videos on YouTube? So I used to be a huge Minecraft player, uh, especially when I was young. I really like, I would watch Minecraft videos specifically like Beijing Canadian was like one of the first mm -hmm. and I would like sit there and like watch him having fun with friends. I'm like, man, like this guy's not working. It's work, but it's like, if you do what you love, if you get paid to do something you do for free, then you're never working. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so. I made a million Minecraft videos and I didn't, I made $20 after years. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> taking those skills. And then when I got good at Brawlhalla, I kind of gained that confidence to do it again. And then I just went at it. And because I won Austin and all these other achievements back before I started, like I got traction very quickly just because of like Twitter and how I built my brand over there. And when it all transitioned, same with Twitch. Uh, I got monetized very quickly and it's just downhill once you start making money on YouTube. Tell me a little bit more about kind of the timeline for when you started YouTube. So was it, you kind of mentioned just now, was it before or after DreamHack Austin when you started making content like consistently? So on Causalix, I made it just after Austin about two months. It was like August, 2018. Okay. Yeah. And then you've made a handful of channels since your main one as well. Um, mm -hmm. What's kind of the 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 thought process that you put into when you choose to make like a new channel versus keeping something on your main channel? Yeah, so the general idea is there's a lot of different videos I want to do, but those videos I, I want to do and I'm good at all have different audiences. Mm. So for instance, people that want to improve at Brahala are a different audience than people who want to see the best Brahala clips which is a different audience than wanting to watch pro gameplay, which is a different audience than wanting to watch some crazy projects that are like essay style and going, you know, like just making the coolest thing imaginable. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the coolest thing can, you know, mix with all the others. But the point is that like when you're making products for separate audiences, if it's all on one channel, it gets really messy and you can still grow. And I did grow, but you can kind of more consistently like YouTube really rewards momentum. Mm. So if you're consistently making videos that your audience that you're targeting wants to see, you're going to get a lot more views quicker. So dividing it, I've seen a lot more, um, uh, momentum. I've been able to maintain the momentum because I've been making very targeted videos for each niche. Um, and in general, now I really only operate four channels like, Neutralix is an esports team and or just to help players improve at Brahala, but maybe one day turn it to phase or something cool. Um, main channel is like really crazy. Like I want to make the best videos imaginable. More Coslix is like a bit of gameplay. I'm a pro player, that kind of personality kind of side. Um, uh, and then Daily Dose of Brahala is that like, you know, America's funniest home videos, the best community clips that you guys suggest. And I mm -hmm. kind of sound like the Daily Dose of Internet guys. So I'm like, hey, let's make a channel out of this. 
Nice. And um, I do have one more channel, which is Gravity Cancel. I'm a huge Yes Theory fan, like getting out of your comfort zone. You only live once, like make the most of it. So being able to like make videos of really cool experiences with friends is like a huge passion project. It's not profitable, but it's like something I'd like to do long term. I just don't really have time to focus on it right now in my life. Mm. I'm, I'm not doing this full time. Like once, you know, once I, the seeds grow into something that's more sustainable, then I can kind of put my focus on passion projects that maybe they're, they'll be profitable one day, but they're all for fun. Gotcha. So then your main channel videos, you you haven't seemed to make a lot of those recently, but what is kind of like the the main style that you're going for on your main channel then? Can you kind of like describe that in a little more detail? Yeah, so the recent style, um, I'm a huge fan like growing up of like Vanoss, so having fun with friends is obviously mm. great, but then mixing that with like a Mr. Beast level idea. So something that's really hard to pull off. And like the whole idea is I want to create something that everyone that knows my name has to see. Like you have to tune in. This thing's so awesome. Like I really want people to care about what I'm doing because it's just that crazy and ambitious. And I want to learn to get better. Um, and it, it's just like going pro the video game. If you're not trying to do the best, then you're like not going to improve as fast. Um, maybe you can make a million videos, but you, it, it's also easier to get 10 million views on one video than it is to get like 100,000 views on a million videos. Gotcha. Um, so that's kind of like the thought process. Okay. So let's come back uh, a bit to Neutralix. because you just announced this team that you're forming that's kind of getting started uh, yesterday. What is kind of your plan, like long-term for Neutralix? What is it supposed to be? And then kind of what is it right now? And like, what do you see as kind of the the pathway to get between where things are today and like where you want it to be long term? I see it very similar to like Phase's origin, where you kind of focus on a niche of a video game that you love. So like Phase really focused on trick shotting, and content was huge back then for that. Where Brawlhalla and some of these other platform fighters, I see a common link between education content. Mm. So it's not like we're not targeting courses necessarily and gonna scale in that way, but we focus on this first niche. We make videos that are you know the viewers want to see they want to see pros and they want to see my opinion on how to improve and others around me so we can build a team that can kind of provide content for that audience but then as that content grows we're able to reinvest it in a way to make videos ideally something really cool you have to see like these phase channel videos and hunter these and whatnot it'd be really cool to kind of get like my main neutralix channel to something where it's like a group of people representing the brand like the side then and like just doing something really awesome uh and then in the long-term future, when Multiverses and Project L comes out, it's opportunities to kind of do the same thing in those games. So start with the education content. And when Multiverses came out, like I had a couple of videos on my main channel get over 100,000 views just mm -hmm. from like Multiverses had so much demand. So having a channel dedicated to help players improve, then they can care about the people teaching and then the people teaching can reinvest that money to do way cooler stuff that's more entertaining. It's a win-win for everyone. Do you plan to have the non brawlhalla content kind of on the same channel or is that going to be like separate like neutralix multiverses neutralix project l or yeah it, it depends on what, what the audience wants if like when the game first comes out maybe we'll do a couple on the main channel but mm -hmm. then as games you know their lives are a lot longer most of the time uh the audiences don't always mesh it's sure. like when fortnite first came out brawlhalla players could probably make a fortnite video and it did well but like now they can't 
So you kind of right. have to divide it into separate channels for separate audiences. But um, yeah, definitely at first we'll experiment again. Like Egg Soups saw some insanely, like they had so many views, but also the videos were like freaking amazing on his channel. And I think some of his most popular videos ever are still multiverses videos. It's unreal. Oh, wow. Yeah, Mul yeah. multiverses was hype when it mm -hmm. first came out. And I'm hoping that they're going to be able to kind of recapture that hype that they had before when it yep. uh, re-releases in the new year let's talk about uh let's talk about bcx for a moment because bcx is coming up here in a couple of months you're going i'm assuming uh do you have any <laughs> do you have any content plans around uh bcx because i know you had, uh if i remember correctly for bcx last year you did some uh interesting content with like interviews with random people on the floor and things like that right uh, that was more at Dallas. BCX last year, I didn't do too much. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but we have a couple ideas. Uh, luckily, Flipside, he lives with me, and he plans on doing content as well. Nice. Um, he, I don't want to announce it for him, but it's really cool. So okay. So stay tuned what he's doing. Um, my ideas are in the planning stage. If I don't end up doing a main channel video there, then there'll probably be a TikTok or two. Uh, the TikTok is kind of like the main channel. We're just trying to, you know, learn to make the best TikTok imaginable. Mm -hmm. But um, uh, yeah, these lands are a great opportunity to just make really cool content with a lot of people and just making something our audience wants to see. Nice. And then as far as the actual game goes, um, you're practicing planning to compete at BCX. And then I know you just played uh, Ones and Autumns as well, right? How do you feel like confidence level at your for um, competing these days? I know you went through a little bit of a period recently where you were dealing with like some tendonitis type issues and needing to take some time to get your wrists healthy. Has that kind of cleared up? Are you feeling better about playing? Yeah, so I took a month off in August to try and like give myself a chance to be able to practice like a, a lot for BCX and it got better for the first like couple weeks of September it felt pretty good, but I've been playing almost daily. So when you're playing daily, you're just going to keep tearing it up again and it's your tendon. So it gets inflamed and it's hard to move. It hurts right now, but oh, no. like I'm still playing consistently. Uh, the kind of game plan is to practice as much as I can for BCX, play as much as I can. And then after BCX, there'll be a great time in the off season to try and let my wrist fully heal, like maybe two, three months off or something. Gotcha. And then the idea is next year, like really, you know, play consistently again, try and go pro. And if the tendonitis comes back, which it probably will over time, but we'll see what happens then I'll have to make a decision by then. Um, gotcha. In terms of my confidence level going into BCX, I'm about as confident as my PR. So I'm like PR like 20 or something like that. Like, okay. It's like low 20s, high teens and ones and twos. So like I feel good. I feel like I'm up there. I feel like I can beat everyone, but I can't beat everyone consistently. So it's just a matter of I got to keep playing. I got to play these community tournaments. I got to play BCX. And I, yeah, I'm not as good as I used to be but I'm better than I was a couple months ago. Yeah, that's a, that's always an interesting thing, I think, with a lot of players where we're definitely better than we were in the past, but everyone else around us is leveling up so quickly that sometimes it feels difficult to keep up. Like, mm -hmm. I look back at my own gameplay from like 2017, 2018, or like 2019 when it was like, I was kind of at my peak, like placement wise. It's embarrassing compared to like what I know I'm capable of today. And yet it's nothing compared to what everybody else around me is, 
is doing. And so mm -hmm. having to not only work on your own improvement, but also try to like keep pace with everybody else is it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. So tell me a little bit about your kind of practice schedule or practice regimen. Is there anything like specific that you do um, when you're getting ready for a tournament? Um, it kind of depends. So for ones, I'll try and play as many ones community tournaments as possible and then play ranked and spar throughout the week. Usually I'll spar and do that from like 8 p.m. Eastern to about 11 to 12 uh, p.m. slash a.m. But um, it's just playing the game consistently and putting yourself in situations where you don't want to lose and mm -hmm. you're up against players that like can beat you, but also you can beat. So just doing that consistently and like giving it your all will is all the practice you need um for twos it's kind of the same thing just hop on with a teammate play for a couple hours maybe spar maybe some money matches i'm not a huge money match guy but uh those are great practice as well play every community tournament possible and just staying consistent like there's a lot of ways to practice and you can try and optimize it but like the number one thing if you want to go pro is just like to play the game consistently like just don't stop uh maybe like five days a week four days a week but if you keep it up you're gonna get there eventually if you really care about it and like when you're playing as well you're you want to win how do you practice for tournaments very similarly uh i just kind of play as as much as i am kind of able to if there's something particularly egregious in like a game what that either catches me off guard or it's just something that i don't know how to deal with um that's usually when i go and do like some replay review and try to figure some things out come up with some options to uh, practice that can maybe deal with something uh, that I'm struggling with. But as far as uh, twos goes, it's pretty much the same. You just want to like play as much as possible, get your teammate in to uh, practice some combos and things, make sure you've got like consistent follow-ups to the different things, that kind of stuff. It's definitely like a lot of problem solving as well. Like you mentioned the replay files, like particularly, I don't love watching a ton of my replays, but what I do is like, Every time you get hit, there's a mistake. So it's trying mm. to understand, like, like why'd you get hit? And then, okay, like, if you're getting hit for a dumb reason, maybe forget it. But if you keep asking yourself, why are you getting hit? Why are you getting hit every time you get hit? Just like a mental note, like, really yeah. quick. You can kind of, like, be like, hey, I'm getting hit for the same reason every single time. Or, like, 80% of the game is for this reason. Right. So I'm going to stop doing this in the next game. So that's kind of, like, how I improve a lot. Um, I'll go on the replays more if I see, like, some egregious hitbox. Yeah. And I, I get hit by nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um definitely the same same thing just different ways uh, kind of on the the topic of like practicing and improving um i know that you've been doing uh, a bit of coaching pointing out in a lot of your videos recently that you you offer coaching what's kind of your approach when it comes to teaching other people how to play the game like what are what are your kind of common recommendations that you give to people um, so kind of similar to what I just said in terms of like every time you get hit, it's a mistake. So when I coach someone, I'll often like just watch a ranked game, especially if they're lower elo and I can't play against them. Mm. If you're like Valhalla or Diamond, maybe we'll do a 1v1 and I can like see why I'm hitting you more. Um, or I'll, most of the time it's a ranked game. I watch the replay and then 
we watch it over together and then the times that they get hit for a reason we just like be like okay why'd you get hit here oh okay that's a normal reason that's fine uh but like 99.9999 percent of the time you're gonna come up with like a list of things it's like a priority list it's like okay here's where you're getting hit the most here's the second thing reason why you're getting hit the most here's a bad habit that you should focus on to not do and obviously focus on one at a time you don't want to think of too many things at once but it's just kind of a list like, okay, if you do this, 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 and this over the next like two months, you're going to be better. So trying to make it as easy as possible. Like when I coach people, I don't want them paying for another session anytime soon. Hmm. If they have to pay for a session very often, I am not doing my job. Interesting. If you want a very personal trainer approach to coaching, which can really help like an athlete's approach, hmm. um, like in traditional sports, like you coach mid tournament, every single tournament, then Maybe I do something one day. I don't really have time for that. So like my goal is like, <laughs> I want people I coach to just improve as fast as possible. And I don't want them coming back until they have no idea how to improve. Gotcha. Interesting. Okay. Oh, that's, that's, that's a great take on it. I think, um, Thank you. I'm going to turn this into a little bit of a back and forth, uh, conversation because I think we both tend to have, uh, a bit of a passion for teaching people things uh, just based on like the the type of content that you're creating on channels like neutral and the coaching that you do i think this is kind of a good opportunity for both of us to just kind of like riff a bit on some of that style sure of course what do you think is one of the biggest things that separates like lower rank players from diamonds i think it's like problem solving like what's the best thing to do in each option mm. or each each situation i should say my bad um but basically like if you're gonna punish punish with a combo starter or like if they're in red like okay what's like the most optimal way to kill with mm. this punish and just kind of it's a lot of problem solving like okay what's like the answer to this situation um just like in chess it's like strategy but you kind of get that strategy from playing a lot and then you kind of yeah. remember what the right answers are so like sure you can learn the basics of the game but it's it's gonna take a lot of playing to remember and build up muscle memory to answer the problem it's a lot of fast-paced problem solving so just getting good at that specific yeah gotcha once a player kind of crosses that threshold and they make it to diamond what do you think is the the main thing that they need from that point to then start improving is it more of the same or is it like something else that you see with uh, a lot of these low diamonds that are looking to kind of maybe get to valhalla in one day and like keep climbing the ranks I think the fast paced problem solving never goes away, but I think movement becomes more of a play once you get to the plat slash diamond territory, mm -hmm. because it really controls what options you have. It's like, okay, how many solutions do I have to this problem? Well, in this position, I have two. In this position, I got five. So mm -hmm. I want to be in this position. Um, it, so just getting really good at your movement and more specific, like positioning, depending on weapons is really important. Like. I play Lance only because Lance is a very horizontal range in terms of positioning. So a lot of my movement habits put me in that position where I'm horizontally away from my opponent. Like mm -hmm. I dodge horizontally in neutral quite often. Where on Katars, Gauntlets, um, I guess Scythe, you want to go up uh, so you can be hitting dares a bit more. It's a lot of empty hopping. Um, just watching how Sansa in place. He doesn't sit on the ground. I like sitting on the ground sometimes. Um, and then Katars and Gauntlets will like be really stacked. They want to like run at you, get to like that stacked um area where then they can like start hitting true combos and like can just like attack unreactably sometimes mm -hmm. like guitar and air and whatnot so yeah it just really depends and that's like where movement combining with like positioning for the weapons is like that's what like takes you to that next level 
then there's like tempo obviously and same thing with the fast-paced problem solving you put them all together and you got pro gameplay gotcha if you had to choose like a small handful of things that you would consider to be like the fundamentals of brawlhalla like let's say i give you three to four options of things what would you call like these are the core things that you should know as you're mm -hmm. learning the game and improving and getting better uh you said three to four right yeah okay i got three it's a three-step plan this is how you win a brawl every single match okay number one you get your opponent to miss in some way shape or form it's like it's unreliable to try and hit them first you can hit them first and there are situations where you should hit them first but 99 percent of the time like you want your opponent to miss so you get them to miss via pressure approaching whatever um so first get them to miss second can you punish or that like decision making is key and that's part of the problem solving is like what do you mm. want to punish with can i even go for this am i in the right position um the step one getting them to miss is where like the posi positioning and movement comes into play and then once you make that right decision of like can or can't punish let's say you can punish it's step three it's combo question mark so do you have a true combo and then you kind of keep asking yourself when you do have that advantage state and you win an interaction can i keep comboing can i keep extending and if that answer is no then it goes back to step one and it repeats and that's the cycle of rahala interesting okay that's actually a pretty succinct kind of explanation of the the brawlhalla gameplay loop mm -hmm. um it's also most fighting games but it, it depends like other fighting games traditional i'm not so familiar with like the counters and whatnot brawlhalla doesn't have a counter system um smash it's similar but there are like different solutions to that of like the punishing and whatnot it's weird yeah i think a uh, smash or any platform fighter that has like a shield and a grab as mm -hmm. sort of like variations on that where like there is a bit of a sort of rock paper scissors um aspect to the gameplay where like uh shield beats attack but throw beats shield and and those types of things um true and then like with traditional fighters there's a lot more thing a lot more things you have to be like cognizant of, of as far as like block strings and making sure you're waiting or your turn quote unquote where yeah your opponent has used some kind of unsafe option that you can actually do something about and otherwise sure. you're just defending as effectively as possible and then when it is your turn and you can get an attack you make sure you optimize and maximize the amount of damage you can get each time you can actually get in so I guess it's kind of the same three questions, but that decision making on each question of like, first get them to miss, second can you punish, so it's like in these traditionals you're stuck in disadvantage state and that like, you gotta really wait for them to miss to like, for it to be your turn. Or like in Smash with like blocking or shields or whatever, you get them to miss by shielding and then can you punish, yes, with a grab. So it's like, it's the same, but it's also just the answers are very different. Right. Yeah, it's it's it is pretty similar. Okay. So that's kind of the 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 fundamentals. How often do you tend to coach like lower ranked players? Like is it mostly diamonds that come to you? Is it mostly plats, golds? Um, I would say on average the most popular is plat and then I would say gold. Okay, then I'd probably say diamond. 
And then like high diamond is probably the same as gold in terms of how often. Interesting. Um, yeah, it's mostly, I think it represents the audience of like the Neutralix channel fairly well, where it is like mostly people who really care about getting good. And you only really care once you get to like late gold or late plat, and then you want to hit diamond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What ELO do you usually coach? Um, it's been pretty similar. It's been a lot of plat. Actually, mine is split pretty evenly between plat and gold. The What I'm noticing is that uh, it's kind of like the people that care enough about the game are usually the ones that have had a little bit of success, enough to want to seek out ways to improve. What I'm trying to do, and I don't know how effective it's going to be, is see if there's a way that we can get to the people that are newer than that before they fall out from frustration, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So so the people that are like silver and not really having a lot of success, the people that are most in danger of quitting the game, I'm wondering if there's a possible way that we can catch them before they quit, teach them enough to get them motivated to continue playing, and mm -hmm. eventually they transform into long-term enjoyers of the game because they understand it a little better have a bit more success climb the ladder yeah that's like a, a good audience and makes sense the hardest part i guess is like trying to reach them because a lot of them don't even like watch brawler content right it's trying to find them in other ways i think yeah is the hard part because they exist they're out there i've run into them in places like different discords other communities yeah. they they don't seem to be searching for a ton of content on youtube but there is some of them out there and but yeah i think by and large the kind of like what you were describing with neutralix like the audience of that channel is uh a bit representative i think of kind of the level of people uh that play the game and watch youtube and want to improve and are going to actively kind of seek out that kind of content and assistance yeah i feel like the only way through content to reach out to that wide of an audience would be like make something so cool you have to see it because then they'll come back and tune in if it's like a new character like loki is so cool you have to see it right yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so that's definitely a good opportunity to reach them outside of that though it's definitely hard to target them unless you like put a lot of work mm -hmm. i have to think about that that's like a i haven't thought about like that specific audience niche because but it, like as much as you have that's like very interesting yeah, that's that my my kind of perspective on Brawlhalla as a as a scene that kind of continues to grow. Like we're still adding players constantly at a rate that is pretty high considering like Brawlhalla just celebrated like 100 million accounts very mm -hmm. recently. Um and it's still growing. Probably will still continue to grow. Um definitely. But a new generation of players should, like, cycle in pretty soon, I would think. It's like, just kind of thinking about terms, thinking about things in terms of, like, player generations, where, like, a generation of players generally tends to be about three to four years long, Yeah, I would say. Definitely interesting, because it's represented at pro gameplay. I think for, like, our niche, and I think it's the same with, like, some other um uh pro esports games not as high level as like league though mm -hmm. where it's like going pro the game isn't something you can rely on full time but it's something like it's still very like 
you can make a lot of money as a kid doing it. So it's right. like, since you can't do it full time, people don't dedicate their life to going pro only very often. Right. Outside of Sandstorm and Boomy. But um, uh, everyone else, like, you'll see the cycle of like young kids that like really want to go pro. They get hungry, they do it, they make some good money. Then they're 19, 20, 21, and now they're in college and have a lot more work to do. And right. they don't want to stay pro because they know it's not going to be, you know viable forever so it's right it's very interesting for most games there are games like league of legends and like valorant i'm kind of seeing where it's like the top players are kind of staying there often if like they're just making so much money that it doesn't matter like, i think it's kind of dedicate their life yeah. yeah i think it's kind of that separation between um games that have like a league built around them where sort of like the league tends to fund things and take care of uh, teams and players and, and things like that um, versus most fighting games are mostly grassroots for hollow we have the the benefit of like the devs pour a ton of money into prize pools and marketing and supporting esports specifically um, and not a lot of games get that so I think uh, yeah. Brahal has been pretty lucky um, on that front as far as like competitively speaking. I will say some games, even though they're like very grassroots, I think the longer it's around for, the more developed the pro scene gets to mm -hmm. like, it gets more stagnant. Like Melee, for instance, like I'll be honest, I can't think of a single Melee player I like that's like new. Right. That I haven't heard of maybe like Omza or something. Uh, I don't watch Melee very much, but I hear about it, and like the guys at the top seem to stay at the top. Like Shine 2017 Mango won. That was my first Brawlhalla LAN. And now Mango's still the king. Um, it goes back and forth, but he's still up there. Same with HBox and all of them. I think uh, a lot of that has to do with the fact that um, it's not a live service game, and so there's not new changes coming in as well. It's like mm -hmm. another thing with brahala and games like it is that they are constantly changing and evolving with new characters so like we just got loki who is not going to be legal for bcx but starting next year we have to start considering okay we might start running into loki in tournaments and have to actually start looking into this character so that we're prepared to play against True. him uh and then just ongoing balance changes where you've got like for the most part, I feel like games like Melee are kind of figured out at this point. Like, there's not yeah, a lot of like that. new stuff that a player can come in and discover and that kind of take them to the next level as far as, like, picking up some new tech and then getting really good with it or something like that. I feel like that doesn't yeah. really happen very often anymore in games there's like Melee. Yeah, there isn't like a knowledge barrier of like just being the first to like find out information to get to the top. Right. Or like that being your competitive edge to get there. But right. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, uh, you also see like the generations kind of stick around the overall gameplay. Like the first generation kind of stopped when Dash got added. The mm -hmm. second generation kind of stopped when Megdi started playing the game. No offense to Megdi, I love the guy, he's so nice, <laughs> but it's true. And then now there's a new generation of Balloon Boy and Mowgli with the new dash changes. And we're seeing some people that were around in 2021 and 2020 start to fall off. But um, yeah, it's interesting. Then we got Backdash that's rumored to like 
they want to push it out they said after uh bcx we'll see what happens yeah to my knowledge i believe it's planned to be added so with that mm -hmm. i mean that's one of the things that uh double diamond and i were talking about on the broadcast um when we did that first episode was the way that brawlhalla is continuing to kind of change and evolve the game makes it so like movement in particular like we haven't seen the full degree to which all of the new movement stuff can be utilized or taken advantage of especially with backdash not being fully in the game the backdash changes not being fully in the game yet and i also think that the stuff that is in right now isn't necessarily being fully utilized in the most optimal ways yet i think there's still potentially a lot that still needs to be kind of labbed out and learned about sort of the landing uh dash cancel stuff as well i agree i think um like looking at myself i've been around like near the top for quite a while and like one of the reasons i think i've been able to stay there with like I have half the hours of Luna, and I'm an older player, which kind of scares me. I don't know how that <laughs> guy's wrist still is. We both have the same issue, but he's like two, three years younger, so that kind of makes sense because he, he plays so much. Um, uh, he's a goat. But uh, about movement, I like I spam dash. I hmm. like when dash came out, I like spam dash dance. And even today, I was playing Tuesday Little Flower like a day or two ago, and he's like, you know, one of your biggest mistakes is you move too much. You do like too much and then it puts yourself in a bad position but for me it's like i try and utilize it as much as i can because over time i'll stop doing the stuff that doesn't make sense mm. and it's not problem solving but if i'm not trying to do everything then i can't find the solutions interesting um, so like yeah like right now i i definitely have a lot to work on but my movement over the years you can look back two years ago then two years before that then two years before that they look like three different players oh yeah um yeah, for sure obviously the game changes but i think um uh i think my movement in particular feels it just looks very different but maybe i'm biased who knows no i think i think that's probably true for a lot of people that have been playing for as long as we have where mm -hmm. just the 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 movement capabilities in the game itself have changed so much since open beta Hell, sure. hell the game releasing like yeah dash dash pretty much revolutionized the game when it first went in and i feel like the adjustments that they're making now maybe not quite on that level but they're pretty close um and and watching players kind of adapt to these new capabilities and figure out new ways of doing things that uh, mm -hmm. make other weapons that were considered lower tier more effective. Like Axe, I think, is a really good example. Yeah, it's definitely interesting how, like, because now you can close space quicker. So mm -hmm. it's like, okay, the, the weapons that like didn't have as much range, now you gave them a little bit more range. Um, and that just completely shifted everything. I don't think people know what truly is meta right now. Yeah, no, I agree. That... Yeah. I think everybody has been a little surprised about this whole um, kind of Taros thing, but when you like yeah. consider, when you consider Kina's incredible neutral, and mm -hmm. the the sort of changes that were made with Dash 
and how effectively you can get in with these weapons that you really couldn't get in with before as effectively. Like, it starts to kind of make sense, like, when you piece everything together. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think BCX is going to be wild. Yeah, it, definitely the most interesting BCX since Sandstorm went to his first land and won BCX. So, yeah, 2018. <laughs> uh, anything can happen. It's, it's really exciting. Nice. Cool. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great having you. I appreciate you agreeing to come on the show. Um, of course. Do you have uh, have anything you want to shout out before you take off? Um, any any projects you got coming up? Any specific channels you want to give? Um, nothing I want to shout out in particular. I'll, I'll say like one passion project. This is long term, and I'll like rumor it. Is like I'm studying game programming. And so I'd love okay. one day to make a game that's I obviously I wouldn't compete with Brahalla, but take the learning lessons from Brahalla and do something pretty cool. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh still years and years away, but we'll see what happens. That would be really cool to see. Well I agree. Fossilix, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for doing this. This is great and uh keep it up. Appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for watching episode 3 of Brahalla Origins. Episode 4 comes out next week on October 9th. Our next guest is Serendipitous. Leave a comment on YouTube or tweet at me with the hashtag Brahalla Origins to let me know your thoughts on the show and ask questions for next week's guest. If you enjoyed this and want to see more, please subscribe and share. Don't forget to check out BrawlAcademy.com. Thanks.